Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Hey, everyone. Uh, Beautiful Monday afternoon here in western New York as we uh, get ready to rip out the podcast a couple days early this week so we're limited a little bit in what we can do but we're going to make the best of it tonight we've got a good show for you tom why don't you give us a rundown of what's coming up absolutely so first we'll do a little nfl free agency recap as that's ongoing and ever-changing we're going to talk a little bit about golf a little bit about the honda classic and a little bit about what you can expect to see at the world golf championship this week we're going to touch on the march madness uh, it's still going on as we're watching some of the second round at right now. Uh, but we'll touch in a little bit about that. We're going to give you a preview of some UFC 260 fights. And then, of course, our NFL draft preview. We're going to be ranking our top 10 interior offensive linemen and interior defensive linemen. All right. Uh, let's kick it off. Yeah, free agency. So, uh, ongoing, I just got an update You know, moments before we came on. Um, a Dory Jackson, three years, $39 million with the New York Giants as the Giants continue to spend money. Um, They've made some nice additions this offseason. Yeah. Um, you know, Logan Ryan was in on the recruiting of uh, getting a Dory Jackson in town after being his teammate in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, nice addition there to the defense. Uh, adding Kenny Galladay on the offensive side of the ball, that was another of the big signings this week. So that should be uh, – more interesting squad in New York. The return of Saquon, a healthy Saquon Barkley. Uh, Daniel Jones probably getting his last year to see if he can make it work. Right. Uh, if there's not success there, I would think that they may be looking to move on from him next year. So uh, interesting stuff going on in New Jersey. I like it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, and there's still guys available. I think that's one of the things that, as we continue to pull names off the list, they're still – uh, good football players on the list. As I take a look at some of them here, I mean, Melvin Ingram and uh, Jadavian Clowney seem to be two of the biggest out there still. Eric Fisher, though, the left tackle from Kansas City. Yeah. Still hanging on out there. Um, Alex Smith at the quarterback position. Let's see here. Will Fuller landed with my Dolphins. Yes. Got you some speed out there. Gotta like that. I hope they get more in the draft. T.Y. Hilton, Golden Tate, Sammy Watkins, Marquise Goodwin, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Cordero Patterson. I mean, that's just some wideouts that are available. Antonio Brown. Yeah. Uh, Des Bryant says he wants to come back and play. So a uh, bunch of wideouts still available. This list is very long, by the way. A lot of these guys will be signed after the draft now. Yes. People We're getting to that point in the free agency process where now it'll be slow play. And yeah. teams will... Just add somebody here or there, but a majority of the signings will happen now after the draft. Yep. People will look to see what they can get. If they miss out on a position, they definitely will look to see who's available. Yeah. So, you know, free agency has been a bit of a whirlwind this year. We didn't know what to expect because there were so many teams that were up against the new cap number. And next year it'll be uh, interesting when teams may be able to spend a little more freely, and in two years in particular – that spending is going to go crazy. So Yeah, that new TV deal. Going to yeah. kick a little bit of cash everyone's way. That TV money. So much money. So 
you know, nothing huge this week. All the major signings happened already. Uh, you, we've got the Deshaun Watson news going on that's probably ended his trade market at yeah, this point. Yeah, I would imagine. Until, you know, it this is all cleared up. Yeah. I don't know what the end game is going to be here, but it's tough. And good. There's a lot of bad stuff coming out, so let's uh, let's move on, Tom. Let's talk a little golf. Yeah, the Honda Classic from last week. Honda Classic. As we expected, you know, uh, names that you're not really familiar with will be towards the top of the leaderboard this week. Uh, my boy Keegan Bradley had a nice run at times, but then struggled on Sunday. So Matt Jones comes out on top. And he is known universally as the fastest player on the PGA Tour. Yeah, one by five strokes. Yeah. One going away. Um I mean, first round 61, kind of been in the mix the whole weekend and just kept heading on. Yeah, he, he played very well and did enough to uh, really kind of open it up on Sunday, and, and it was uneventful. And, you know, periodically you're going to get those tournaments that are just not that exciting on Sunday. Yeah. And now guys are getting into their master's preparation, so you have some of the top players in the world that weren't there and getting ready to play the WGC this weekend. So it was a um, soft field, uh, to sure. say the least, but uh, always a fun course to watch because of the challenge down the stretch there with the bear trap. All that water. Yeah. So um, what did you take away from the tournament, Tom? Anything? Um, I didn't watch a ton of it, honestly. College basketball going on. I flipped back and forth a few times. Um, it suffered from not a big name near the top and a wide margin. Yeah, it had a hard time drawing me in. I, I really yeah. was not too interested. So, yep, it was uh, it was tough. I went to give it a go Saturday afternoon, and was riveted by basketball. <laughs> then, right, I went to uh, I just didn't really get into it on Sunday just because of how much of a, how big of a lead there was. Right, made it a little tough. All right, so um, this week we've got the WGC. And the pairings just came out, right, for the group, the yes. groups of four. Uh, do you have that up in front of you and some of the featured groups that you see there, Tom? Yep, I'm bringing her up. And it's it's an interesting way they go about this. Basically, you play the other three in your, in your group, and it's kind of a round-robin moving on here. Uh, so some people got some good draws. Dustin Johnson. As the uh, number one player, got a pretty decent draw with Kevin, uh, Robert McIntyre, and Adam Long. Uh, yeah, he's got a he's got to feel pretty good about uh, his grouping there. Kevin Na's a strong player, but Robert Ma Robert McIntyre and Adam Long, you know, both guys without a lot of experience on the big stage. And two from each group move on, correct? Yeah, yeah. And then Group Two, Justin Thomas did not have yeah. a kind draw. Louis Oosthuizen, who's been a finalist in this event. Kevin Kissinger, who won it last year, and Matt Kuchar, who's won it before in his yeah. group. It's a tough draw, but JT's playing some of the best golf out there, so very uh, should be very interesting to see how that group shakes out. You can see any of those four advancing. Yeah, Two that'll of be any a, of those four advancing. It'll be a fun one to kind of keep an eye on. Um, John Rahm, Ryan Palmer, Shane Lowry, Sebastian Munoz, yeah. Colin Morikawa, Billy Horschel, Max Homa, JT Poston. Uh, kind of a fun little group there. Group eight is all Europe. We have three Englishmen and Sergio Garcia together. Yeah. Interesting. That group's going to be rowdy. Yeah. <laughs> You've got uh, 
Let's see, group 10 with uh, Cantlay, Matsuyama, Carlos Ortiz, and Brian Harmon. Harmon's been playing some, some uh, really good golf as of late. Um, Cantlay and Matsuyama have also been playing strong golf. So um, before that uh, Players' Championship missed cut by Cantlay, he had, uh, he had made the cut or finished in the top 26 straight times, so he was playing very well. Um, Brian Harmon, you know, left-handed player. He's, he's just an accurate guy. Um, he played well at the Players' Championship. Uh, he could be kind of the, the one to make things difficult for the, the upper-tier players in this group. So Group 15 is interesting, too, with uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, Matthew Wolf, Corey Connors, and Jordan Spieth. All these guys have been playing good lately. Yeah. Everyone in that group has been playing solid. Yeah. So should be an entertaining event. You know, that for me, you the first few days are the most exciting when you have the, the matches going uh, a lot like crazy. Going, You've yeah. got a bunch of them happening. So, you know, that that to me is a lot of fun to watch. Do you have a, a favorite or somebody you like to uh, potentially compete to win this thing? It's so tough because you, you have to get – I mean, the one thing that we've seen is that uh, – it doesn't matter the type of golfer you are almost. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your Coochers and your Kisners. You also have Rory, Tiger, and uh, Justin Thomas winning these this event. Uh, it's more about the matchups and just playing good golf for a full weekend. I mean, you can't have any bad performances in any of these because you're out. Yeah. You have a, a mediocre round, you know, a minus one, where normally on a Saturday you shoot one under, you're fine. Uh, here, you're probably out. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. You just have to go with the, the top golfers, really. Um, I think Justin Johnson has uh, a little bit of that fear factor when playing against him. DeChambeau the same way. Uh, when you're lining up, teeing off against him in a head-to-head and you're just watching him blast it. Yeah. I think that can be deflating, mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting. But I think DJ's group makes it pretty easy for him to advance. Yeah. So Tony Finau has uh, top ten finishes in five of his last eight starts. Um, I know, <laughs> but he's he's the least likely to me to advance out of the top tier guys because I like the way that jo- Jason Kokrak and Will Zalatoris are playing. Both of those guys are playing really great golf right now, yep. and could make it hard for Finau to get out of the group. Uh, there ultimately there are going to be guys that are in that A tier that do not advance. Um, Finau would be my pick to not advance out of his group. Yeah, and Justin Thomas, I mean, as good as he's been playing, mm-hmm. he has a couple of mediocre rounds in this round robin, and those those three guys can take him out. Yeah. Uh, give me a couple of wagers to win, Tom. Give me two guys. Give me two, two players to play this week. Let me take a look at some odds here for you. Yeah, I have... Um, you know, I, I haven't looked at the odds to win yet I, I, because obviously the brackets just came out, so those odds haven't been up until today. So I haven't had a chance to take a look and see, but um, I always like the ultra-competitive Patrick Reed in match play environments. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that you can probably get him at a, at a reasonable price. And, um, plus 2,400 for Patrick Plus 2,400. That's a good play for me. And then... Uh, Rory's plus 18. Yeah. He's, he's dang good at match he's play. He's been struggling badly, yeah. though. He's been struggling badly. His game has been off, and uh, that makes it makes it tough. I like I like Victor Hovland. He has a lot of recent experience playing match play events when he was an amateur and uh, playing in college. So I like Victor Hovland as another play here. Where is he at? Let's find him. 
I like his chances of getting out of that group, too. He's with Abraham Anser, Bern Wiesberger, and Kevin Streelman. So I'm thinking Victor Hovland and Patrick Reed are my two plays this Hovland's week. Hovland's at 2,600. Good. That's right around where. That's the sweet spot. Yeah. So who you got? Um, let's see. I like Sunjay M here at 2,600. There you go. He's dang good. Yeah. Um, obviously the, the favorites are all short. Well, tears, not that. Not scary. Lee Westwood has been playing such good golf at plus 5,000. Yeah. That might be worth it. I like it. You get past that, it starts getting pretty, pretty dicey. Unless you want to take a shot at um, Bubba Watson at seventy five hundred coming to life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know I don't know necessarily the characteristics of the golf course. You know can certainly play a factor, but match play means so much. It, it can be so different. You know compared yeah. to um, a stroke play event. It's a lot more psychological. This is one of the reasons why you never want to pick John Rahm in this event. <laughs> one bad shot, and he's, he's in trouble. Yeah, his uh, inability to keep his cool mentally is a, yeah, a bit of a challenge for him. It's a bit of a challenge in this format, especially. All right, what do we got next, Tom? March Madness. Yeah, so this has been a lot of fun. It's been insane already. Upsets, lots of, uh, lots of chaos happening. The first day had, had what? 15 different um, seedings winning a game for the yeah. first time. Yeah. The only one that didn't was, was 16. Every every other seeding won a game. Yeah. <laughs> one through 15. That's absolutely crazy. Right. And to see the the performance of, of some of these teams that are, you know, coming from, from out of nowhere, you know. Loyola's not really coming from out of nowhere. They've, they've uh, been around. But uh, you've got uh, Oral Roberts. I mean, yeah. who expected them to advance? Um, Oregon gets through two rounds with only one win because of the forfeit of VCU. Right. Um, but they took down Iowa today. Um, you've got uh, Oregon State. The Pac-12 is the story of the tournament so far. UCLA is up by 23 right now with five and a half to play, and that will make the Pac-12 8-0 and in the tournament. Crazy. A uh, uh, conference not known for basketball. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been looked at as not that great. And, you know, we've got number 11 Syracuse that's advanced now. Um, you know, this has been a, a very, very interesting tournament thus far because so many of these um, lower level or, you know, lower seeded teams yeah. have it's moved on. We kind of knew it would be because the, the favorites in this, this season seem to lack a little bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, besides probably Gonzaga, who just hasn't lost yet. Um, some of the other ones, you don't have your natural, your normal powerhouses that are in there. Kentucky's not there. Uh, Duke, North Carolina's team wasn't as good. They made it, but they're not as good as they have been. Right. And some of them just are so much better uh, a lot of times. And then they're not up there at the top. So it's been kind of all over the place. And I think you're seeing that some parody has hit college basketball. Um, some of that is the concept of the one and dones taking effect right um i think you'll see more of this as as you go on which i think it's good for the tournament it makes it crazy it makes it fun nobody wants to talk about 
all four one seeds getting to the final four. So, yeah, and you know we know that's not going to happen now. Illinois is gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and th- that Loyola performance was so impressive. It's uh, it was a no doubter. Absolutely, and there's some great matchups coming up here in the Sweet 16 already. We don't know all of them, obviously, because they haven't completed the the round of 32 yet. But in the Sweet 16 so far, we've got uh, Baylor taking on Villanova. We've got Arkansas against upstart Oral Roberts. Uh, Loyola against Oregon State. So at worst, an eight seed is going to advance to the Elite Eight. Uh, Syracuse is playing great basketball right now. Took down West Virginia. They're playing that stellar defense of Houston. So we could have an an amazing defensive battle there. Syracuse relies on making shots from the outside. And More than you'd like to at this point. Yeah. Um, it's a tough if they go If they go cold, they'll have a hard time. Yeah. Um, Houston is going to play the best defense that they've seen this year. So And, and Syracuse plays that 2-3, and Houston's offensively not that great. So I was just talking about that this week, though. Uh, the 2-3 is great on the short rest, on the, sh- on the turnaround. Like, mm-hmm. if they somehow survive Houston – and then someone's got to play them two days later. That's tough. Yeah, it, you know, it doesn't give you a, gives you one practice to get yeah. ready. Uh, but you got a whole week. If you're if you have a talented enough kid, you're gonna be ready for it. But the, the thing is, Houston's the teams that can shoot very well from the outside and move the ball well, yeah. get it to the high post and then and then work the ball around. Um, that is how you beat the two three. And Houston doesn't have a ton of great shooters, so that. Uh, you know, could could be a little bit of a problem for them. And I, I, th- that's my favorite game so far out of these matchups. Um, I really liked Baylor coming into the tournament. I think they have a great chance to continue on here. Yes. In that South region. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if they get by Villanova, you're talking about playing either an Arkansas team, which has survived this far, yeah. or Oral Roberts, who is a 15 seed. Like, you, yeah. you could be playing a 15 seed to make the Right. To make the final four here. I mean, theoretically, in the Midwest, you could have Oregon State, the 12 seed, playing Syracuse, the 11 seed, to get to the final four. I'll allow it. That would be a very interesting situation. Yeah. Um, Gonzaga's going to be in great shape here. Creighton's going to get a shot at them, it looks like, because they're up 15 on Ohio at the half. Yes. Um, Oregon played tremendous against Iowa today, but Iowa doesn't play any defense. So I'm, <laughs> you know, I was a little bit down on them coming into the tournament yeah. because of that. And, I, I fed into some garbage this morning and bet on Iowa like a fool, even though I did not like their defense all season long. But uh, USC-Kansas tonight should be a fun game at 9-4 Eastern. I'm excited for Colorado-Florida State. I picked Florida State Yeah. beforehand. They a lot of people are hot on Colorado right now. I don't like them. I, yeah, I know. Colorado's been playing well, but... You know, they took a loss to Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament, but Oregon State's backing that up They look good, yeah. So I I expected Oregon State to go out in round one. I did not think that they were – I thought they got a fluky run through the Pac-12 tournament. Turns out they're just playing really good basketball, and they came together at the right time. Right. So um, any any particular game that – or team that you really like here besides the one seeds? Anybody um, down the list or surprises that you see coming in in the Sweet 16? Um. I don't know about surprises. I think all the surprises may have happened. I, Baylor has looked like a number one seed, and I would just say that from, I mean, they won the first one by 24. They won their second one by, was it, 13. 
they haven't really been challenged yet. And I think that when you see a number one seed doing that, yeah, you know, it's the same thing Gonzaga done on the other their side of the bracket. You're just they're winning all their games, they're winning them easily. They haven't been tested. They're really kind of flexing. Um, no, this this place is all over. Arkansas has not impressed me at all, but they keep winning their games. They they struggled against Colgate kind of early and then put it on them. Texas Tech, I mean, they won they won by two. This was close. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other ones that have already gone through? Uh, Loyola has impressed me. They've looked good. I mean, they they beat up on Georgia Tech, then they beat up on Illinois. I mean, this is another team that's won both their games by double digits and are cruising into play an Oregon State team that's a 12 seed that they are higher ranked than in, in this tournament. So, yeah. Who, who knows? <laughs> it's, I mean, there's a lot. This is been the most turbulent tournament that I can recall in, in some time. So it's been a lot of fun. I can't wait for the Sweet 16 next weekend. So yeah, it's going to be a blast. Let's move on, Tom. Let's talk a little fist fighting. UFC um, 260. We're a little bummed before we get started. Our boy Gregor's fight got mm-hmm. COVIDed, got canceled, pushed back, waiting for a, a date for that. Um, but yeah, it was rough. That was a really rough moment for me on Saturday. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had well. built my whole weekend around, you know, the excitement of, of watching that fight. And then to get that news at about two o'clock or something on Saturday that he wasn't going to be fighting, I was. It, it really, really bummed me out. Yeah, it took the wind out of my sails for sure. I was pretty amped. Yeah. Um, leading up to that, that I mean, we've been watching for months and months, waiting for his return. His announcement, yeah. To get to day of and have it cancel on us. They get through everything, through the way, and all, all's good yeah. to go. You know, nobody missed weight. Nobody got injured. Like, and then that happens. And, uh, and this next card, UFC 260, is already having some COVID issues of its own. The co-main event has been canceled. Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian T-City Ortega. I just like saying T-City. Yeah. Um, that one's been postponed due to COVID. Um, it's main event still on. Stipe and Francis. We'll, we'll see how that goes. So we'll see how that goes. And you know, this card's still pretty good. Uh, losing a little bit of luster with that co-main of another championship fight, which would have been a really entertaining championship fight. Those guys are both really well-rounded strikers. It could have been a lot of fun. Now they Hope- bump up Woodley and Luque? Yes. Sente Luque and Tyron Woodley get to play. <laughs> Tyron Woodley's Woodley. got to do something. I was just going to say. He's got to do something or he's going he's gonna to be done. He's not going to have a career if he doesn't do something. He's really got to like quit him. standing around. I really like him, but his last three fights have been ugh, awful frustrating. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Sean O'Malley's fighting, which is always fun, against Thomas Almeida. So He's explosive and crazy good, too. This That fight, I'm betting the under. Yeah. I don't see how it goes three rounds. Under one and a half, plus 105. One and a half? Oh, yeah. man, that makes me nervy. Yeah. Kama Worthy's fighting on the main card. Against Jamie Malarkey. That's a close matchup, too. Miranda Maverick against Jillian Robertson. Alonzo Menafield against William Knight. Here's two guys that can tear your head off I and know. shit down your neck. I love this fight. Yeah. It's the main you know, the main event of the prelims. You can't see my finger close yeah. like Kevin's on. That's going to be awesome. It's so good. Jared Gooden's fun to watch, too. Yeah. 
So against one of the Nurmagomedovs. So yeah, one of the army of them now. Yeah. It should be. I mean, it's still a good card. And, Absolutely. And the, the last two fights are going to be good if Woodley has a fire lit under his ass. That's Which the he thing. He should. Yeah, he's fighting for his career. Yeah. He really is. And, and we've seen guys redeem themselves before. Uh, Arlovsky had a stretch where he was trigger shy for a while. And, I mean, this is a guy similar, you know, used to be the champion of the world, got rocked a few times in a row, started mm-hmm. pulling, pulling back, waiting for perfect chances to open up. Yeah. And I think Woodley's in the same thing. Arlovsky eventually got out of it. Yeah. He started throwing again and had another minor resurgence recently. But you got to throw to get out of it. Yeah. He's got to fight. He's got to fight out there. It's it's been tough to watch. So. You got to swing your way out of a slump. That's how it works. You do. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the card. I think you know. I can't believe that that Stipe is even money, and Francis Ngannou is yeah. the favorite. I I know how dangerous Ngannou is. Yeah. But I also know that Stipe puts people to sleep. They've already he's, fought. He's fought. You know Cormier twice. He redeemed himself by knocking Cormier out. He beat Francis Naganu previously. I, I am leaning heavily towards Stipe in this fight, and at even money, I don't believe that he'll stay. That I think more money will come in on Stipe as we get closer to the fight. So you know, my recommendation is bet Stipe now while it's even money. Why not? Even if the fight gets canceled, you'll get your money back. <laughs> <clears throat> you knock it off with this. Sorry, it's I'm I'm hurt. I mean it, it's it's very frustrating for sure. Mark Andre Barrio against Abu Azatar is gonna be really good too. Those two guys can fight. So there's plenty of really, really good fights still on this card. Um excited to watch it. And um uh, if I were some other winners that I like on the card. Um, you know, honestly, I love William Knight against Alonzo Menafield. Yeah. Like Winningfield's been rocked the last couple times out, if yeah. I remember correctly. They're both minus 115. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun fight. And uh, give me William Knight, minus 115 over Alonzo Menafield. And, um, you know, Thomas Almeida's worth a shot at plus 235. Sean O'Malley comes off his first career loss where he broke his leg or whatever that issue was that yeah. um, was very expensive for DraftKings for my household that night. Um, because O'Malley goes down with a broken leg. If he if he wins the fight, uh, we're probably looking at very very close to winning the the large DraftKings tournament of the night that was 200k for first. So um, very disappointing to see that happen because O'Malley was expected to have a dominant victory. Um, but Thomas Almeida is dangerous. He's a very dangerous fighter, and I don't know if O'Malley has been in with somebody as dangerous as Almeida is as explosive. So. I'm excited to see that, and at plus 235, Thomas Almeida is worth a play. You got any that stick out to you, Tom? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think you've touched on all the ones that I'm really excited about. I think the Stipe one is very interesting because of how he won that fight against Francis. The one thing we've talked about in here before is sometimes knockouts can be misleading. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see a guy who knocked a guy out in a previous fight, he could have been getting his ass kicked for two rounds, caught him, caught him flush, and that's the end of it. But that's not what happened. Stipe dominated five rounds in this fight. He used the clinch game. He used takedowns. He used dirty boxing, and he dominated five rounds. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I know it was a unanimous decision, but I, th- I think he won five rounds on two cards and four on one. Yeah. I mean, 
That was a dominant victory. That's yeah. not something that was fluky. Uh, I mean, and granted, Francis has got a, a puncher's chance, but he should be an underdog in this fight. Yeah, and it's weird to me that he is not. So um, blows my mind. And then uh, the O'Malley Almeida fight, I think, is going to be crazy. I just both of them are, are do explosive, crazy, fun, fast things. Yeah. And William Knight and Alonzo Menafield. I mean, these two guys can can put you in a bag. They're just terrifying humans. Yeah. And uh, it'll be fun to see him. Uh, Menafield was nine and zero. He's lost his last two, but he lost to some pretty good. Um, competition so um would you say the the line was on that one it's even even minus 115 each yeah yeah love it it's gonna be really fun love it (laughs) all right tom let's take a quick break before our next segment let's do it when we come back we can do some o-linemen gotta love gotta love some o-linemen right absolutely let's talk linemen let's all right you want to go offense or defense first, Tom? Offense, because that's the one I have pulled up. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, offensive lineman, I'll jump us right Hold in. On. We're going to talk about interior. Okay. Yeah, yeah, interior offensive lineman. Yeah. Into one thing I just wanted to do. Um, I thought of this yesterday. Uh, I'm ad libbing as we go here, guys. Um, just let's talk a little bit about the class as a whole. After you know, we've watched obviously to get down to ten, you got to watch fifteen to twenty of these guys to kind of eliminate people and be like, yep. Yep, that's why he's not on, on these lists. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so I think as a whole, this group is good, not great. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot of really solid guys that are going to turn into starting guards. Absolutely. And and I think some guys will, um, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but there, there are certain players that I've liked for a long time that are very high on my list here that are going to uh, lead teams for a long time. Yeah, so there's some good know, centers on here. Yeah, um, like three or four of them for real. Yeah, so you know, for me, I, I think that um, I like about six or seven of these guys to have big time career. You know, really good, solid careers. Yeah, and I think I like maybe three of these guys to be potential like perennial Pro Bowlers. Any All Pros in this group? You think? I think there's one, yeah, one okay. maybe two. I don't know. Um, depends on a lot Getting of factors. Getting a pro ball on an old lineman is such a pain. Yeah, it's so hard to get everyone to swing your way. Yeah, once you get once you get that recognition, you can roll with it for a yeah. long time on check. Yep. All right. All right. Let's go number ten. I'll jump right in with number ten. I have Josh Myers, uh, guard from Ohio State. Um, I think he he can do a little both. I think he plays some center too. Um, some versatility there. Uh, played against some really good competition over the course of his career, and um, his teammate will be higher on my list <laughs> later on down the line. Um, but Josh Myers at number ten, number nine, uh, Robert Hainsey from Notre Dame. Um, there are a couple of Notre Dame prospects that I liked here. Hainsey cracked the list, um, and uh, he's going to be a number nine for me. I, he, tell me what you saw in him as a Notre Dame fan, Tom. Um, neither of these Notre Dame guys made my top ten. No. Um, Hainsey is the better of the two. I think he's more consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would say that kind of kept him out of my top ten, there's just some – I think he benefited from Eichenberg next to him for his whole career. Yeah. He had the really good tackle, um, especially at the college level. Eichenberg was just advanced for his right, right. away. But I, I think he's just kind of – Developed that. If you watch Notre Dame games, 
Ian Book was getting pressured up the middle a lot. So yeah. having to bail out to his right. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things I think that, uh, yeah, maybe I'm just jaded. It could be. <laughs> um, my number 10, I have Sidarius Hutcherson, South Carolina, uh, big boy. Uh, a couple things I love about him is he's very athletic for a guard. This guy's 6'4", 320, and was getting to the second level on the regular, leading on some polling situations. Um, very, very impressive. Uh, one thing that I, I did notice um, that I wrote here was just that sometimes his finish isn't the greatest. He'll, he'll lock a guy up, but he won't drive him. Uh, in the way, not necessarily making a, a, a big gaping hole. Right. Uh, one of now number nine is Aaron Banks from Notre Dame, uh, 6'5", 330. Um, one thing I love about him is just his pass protection. This guy's pass protection was amazing. Um, the problem with him is he can get bull rushed. It happened a lot if you watch the Alabama, no, yeah, the Alabama game, um, and a little bit of the second Clemson game. You could see it where um, some of those twists, and those stunts, uh, he was getting kind of beat um, by some power. Yeah. So, um, you know, next on my list, uh, I'm going to go to uh, a perennial powerhouse here. And uh, I have Jackson Carmen uh, from Clemson. And Jackson Carmen Car- is six foot five, 335 pounds. Um, the thing, he, he played a lot of uh, tack. He had played some tackle early in his career uh, in particular. Uh, 2019, he started all 15 games. Um, he's projected as an inside player um, as he moves to the next level. So I think that this is going to be an opportunity for somebody to um, he was protecting Trevor Lawrence's blind side and, and all that stuff. So, you know, he's been around 6'5", 335. You would think that he might be able to make it a tackle, but that does not seem to be it. He has great mobility as a run blocker, which is a big thing. So his because his run blocking is so good, he's going to fit better at left guard or right guard in the NFL than he does at left tackle because I think he could struggle with the guys at tackle trying to, you know, those speed players and things he, he would struggle with. So he is definitely going to be uh, moved down to uh, a guard position at the next level. Um, the next player that I have on my list is Trey Smith. Trey Smith is another guy. He was highly recruited as a tackle. He was a five-star guy. Um, everybody loved him. He's 6'4", 312 with a big wingspan. All that stuff looked right. Um, he, he was he plays tough. Um, he the, the thing with Trey Smith is he's got this... Uh, some kind of a heart disease or some kind of a congenital uh, defect. He's had some problems being on the field. Um, But he was the number one overall player in the 2017 recruiting class. This is a guy that, you know, obviously has a ton of talent, obviously has a a lot of God-given ability. But the question is, is he going to be able to – it was blood clots in his lungs. That's what it was. He's he's had a lot of blood clots uh, and issues like that coming along. So having – an inability to stay on the field has hurt him in a big way. But a lot of people think that, you know, because he's a mauler, he really moves people around. He's got great upper body strength that he just makes perfect sense to move inside at the next level and get an opportunity there. I think that he slides down draft boards a bit because of the medical though. Uh, Number eight, I have Kendrick green guard of Illinois. Um, this great run blocker, uh, 
just consistently, if you watch Illinois running the ball, he's out in front driving his guy down the field. Um, one thing I did notice is uh, he can be beat on the pass. Um, multiple times see him kind of lunge out almost like a half run where he's trying to drive off the ball to initiate contact, and then he's off off kilter a little bit. Um, but overall, very good guard out of Illinois. And then I have at seven, I have Drake Jackson, um, senior out of Kentucky. Uh, this guy's a four-year starter in the SEC at center. Uh, you don't do that without being pretty dang good. The one thing that I've seen that's kind of been listed as a knock for him, um, well, two things really, is one, he's got a, a bit of a thin frame at 6'1", only 292. Mm-hmm. Um, some questions about how he'll be able to stand up to some of the larger nose tackles in the NFL. And then the other thing is uh, Kentucky ran the ball so dang much, uh, not a lot of actual true pass sets, not a lot of third and 12s dropping back to pass um, out of Kentucky. So uh, some limited experience with something like that. Absolutely. Who do you got next? Uh, Six. I have Ben Cleveland, guard out of Georgia, uh, center out of Georgia. Um, Big boy, 6'6", 335. One thing um, I loved about him is he's kind of a bully with his his big body of his. Um, Really kind of a little bit of that nasty that I like. Um, another one that every once in a while will get out of a pass block as he's reaching, caught reaching, grabbing instead of letting the defender make the move and just reacting and, and, and getting to them there. Uh, but overall, very good. Number six on my list. I've been Cleveland at number six as well. Nice. Uh, first time where we've crossed paths here. Um, just like you said, it, it, some limited athleticism a little bit, but he's got yeah. some nastiness to him. And so I, big. <laughs> I, I saw him on some pulls. I, I saw him like uh, they ran a little trap play uh, this year against Auburn, and he just squashed a defensive line. Yeah. And I mean, he hits with power and authority. So I really like um, what he brings to the table. Uh, Landon Dickerson is my number five. Uh, Dickerson has slid down the board because of his uh, injury, long injury history, and uh, he has trouble getting to the second level. So he's really good at the line of scrimmage. He's nasty. He's tough. He's gritty. He's smart. He's all the things that you want out of a center. Um, the thing is, he's, he's got this this massive injury list, and he doesn't climb to the second level very well, um, which is a lot of times essential to, to be a, a really great offensive lineman at the next level. That's why um, he's down the list a little bit for me here. Number five for me is, oh, you're going to tell me the last name, Quinn Miners. Miners. Yeah. Yes, I have his number five, 6'3", 320. Uh, this is somebody who, uh, if you don't know, you should Google and Google image him real fast. Wisconsin Whitewater just came out of a little bit of nowhere for the Senior Bowl. A big bully of a man, dominated at the Senior Bowl on one-on-one drills. Super strong, very athletic. His pro day stuff is becoming of legend already. Uh, the knock on him, competition was low, and he didn't stand out necessarily at Wisconsin Whitewater. Um he was obviously good enough to get a Senior Bowl invite, but not somebody who was high on draft boards maybe before the Senior Bowl. But we've seen this before. Ali Marpet, somebody who came from a lower division school, really right good. Right down the road from us at Hobart. Yeah, gets the invite and then shows against the big boys that, hey, I belong. Um, so I think maybe if this was before Ali, he's probably not even in my top ten. But seeing that it can be done and has been done, I have him at five. Um, number four for me, I have – I'm asking, yeah, Creed Humphrey, 
so another one of these guys played center, Oklahoma. Uh, this guy's very strong. Um, noticed his hands. Very quick to get his hands on you, and once he seems to lock up, that's pretty much the end of it. Uh, one big knock on him that makes me a little nervous is because of the style of offense Oklahoma ran. He had not a lot of one-on-one trying to drive guys off the ball, uh, but with his size at 6'4", 320, I, I would imagine he's going to be able to do that in, at the next level. He just hasn't seen it really for at Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, for me, I have uh, number four, Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. Um, this is a, a big, strong guy. Um, when he makes the effort, he is nearly unstoppable. He, he has been dominant throughout his career, uh, had a great career, but you see him when he has an opportunity to finish, not do it. And some plays, he looks like he just takes the play off. That pushes him down the board here because he could be a top two or three uh, on this list. Um, Someone's got to fix that effort at the next level from him. Um, if they can, you're going to get a guy that could be a perennial perennial Pro Bowl player. He has that type of ability, but he hasn't shown it on a consistent basis at the college level because he just has those plays that he takes them off. Um, it, it's, it's really hard to get over that when you see it on film, too. You, you see a guy that just gets lazy on a play, or he could have squashed that. You know, He's got a down block on a nose tackle, and, and he could have squashed the guy out of the way, and he doesn't do it. Or he gets on a linebacker and then he just kind of he doesn't finish the block and the guy slides off and eventually makes the tackle. That that's the kind of stuff that that really um, pushes him down my board. Next for me at number three is Quinn Miners. Uh, Quinn Miners was absolutely nasty at the Senior Bowl. He's got all the ability in the world. This is a guy that you can see his physical traits um, through the pro day. You can see what he did to the top seniors that were facing him in one-on-ones at the senior bowl that tells me that everything that i need to know um, answers the questions about the about the level of competition he's got what it takes to to make it at the next level um and that's moved him all the way up to number three on my interior line list uh number three i have landon dickerson from alabama um his injuries are a concern i hit you know his tours acl here in december uh, he played a game after that this is a very tough human being, 6'6", 325. In a shortened year of 2020, the man had 14 official pancakes leading college football by a wide margin. Um, he's also renowned for his ability to read defenses, pick up blitz, call out the plays, which as a center in the NFL he'll have to do. I don't know if he'll even be a center. He may end up being a guard because of his height. 6'6", six, six is pretty tall to be a mm-hmm. center in the NFL. Um, but with his size and ability to read defenses and get to the right spot. Uh, I have him at three. Two is where I have Wyatt Davis. Um, This is a person who probably has never lost a one-on-one rep in college. Um, He does, however, struggle with blitz pickups. Uh, It's kind of the opposite of Landon Dickerson. Occasionally he'll not see somebody coming, will focus on the wrong guy. He'll he'll pick up a, a, a D tackle and let a linebacker come in behind him. Um, so those are things that you can you can work that out though in the NFL level uh, with coaching and you know no school to focus on. So to me, number number two is Wyatt Davis. All right, number two for me is Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, most people's number one. Um, I have him at two just because I love the guy at number one so much. So Elijah Vera Tucker has uh, had a tremendous career. He's played some tackle. Um, he's moved all over the offensive line for UCLA. Uh, he's had a really, really strong career. 
Um, I have Elijah Bear Tucker, who could be very well be uh, the best interior lineman in this draft. Um, could very well be perennial Pro Bowl or potential All Pro type player. Um, number one for me is Creed Humphrey. I've been on Creed Humphrey's train for a couple of years now. I watched film on him uh, two years ago when I thought he was going to come out as a junior. He decided to return. Um, then we had the COVID thing, and he still played, which was, you know, yeah, you smell that too, Tom? And I was like, what, what is that smell in the <laughs> air here? I think somebody's got leaves burning or something. Uh, Carry on. Onward. Creed Humphrey, um, he's, he's a very smart center. He's got nastiness. I, I understand Tom's knock on him when it comes to not seeing the one-on-one victories at, at the uh, Big 12 level, but he, cre- he allows no pressures in the pass game. No one bull rushes him. And uh, he's just been dominant, smart, understands blitz pickups, does everything you want, uh, and he's my favorite interior offensive lineman in this entire draft. And I do have Elijah Vera Tucker at number one. Uh, this guy was a great guard la- two years ago, and then last year they asked him to move to left tackle, and he says, fine, and puts up an amazing season at left tackle, shortened season for, for USC, but just does a great job there. Um, he's very steady. He doesn't lose. He... He blocks well, 6'4", 315. He just takes on everybody that comes at him. And to show the athleticism, um, you know, one of the question marks about him coming into the year was his athleticism. But to be out there at left tackle on that island and to be able to pick up some of the quick twitch rushers around the around the edge like he did time and time again shows that he has the athleticism to play guard in the NFL. So I think inadvertently by being moved out of necessity it's really helped his draft stock is one of his biggest questions kind of they have the answer in the blueprint for already yeah he can do anything so it's going to be really interesting to see how he's used he may end up being a guy that they move around when things get yeah weird in the nfl somebody goes down with an injury oh man we, we we're just going to kick out vera tucker to play left tackle now versatility as an old lineman is huge for yeah. any any coach worth his salt wants a guy who can play a couple spots on the o-line we talk about some defense yeah let's talk about some big boys on all right the defense i'll jump in with uh, lorenzo neal from purdue uh, lineage, uh, you know, this is a guy that, you know, his father played in the NFL. He uh, is a big, strong interior defensive lineman. He's way down a lot of people's rankings, um, but he showed flashes at times with Purdue. Had some injury trouble. He had a long career there. Uh, I think this is a guy that's going to get an opportunity in the NFL because of the fact that, you know, people know his name. Uh, you know, there's relationships in the NFL, and I think that he may have a chance to stick as a rotational defensive lineman. Um, as we talk about this, I do want to say that I don't like the defen- interior defensive yeah. line group at all. I think it's it's like really, it's lame. Yeah, it's as great as last year's was, this mm-hmm. year's. Uh, I was looking at some stuff. I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure any of these guys would get a first round grade for me. Yeah, I mean I like Barmore, you know, and uh, giving it away early, but you know, as a first round grade, but otherwise no. <laughs> and there's. Uh, Five guys here that I think could have long careers. Yeah. Maybe I think there'll be some drafted in the first round, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure I would draft any of these guys in the first round. Yeah, I. When I talk about these bottom four on my list, I think there's a good chance that four, five, you know, the bottom five on my list, none of them may stick long term in the NFL. Yeah. They may be rotational guys or you know have a four to five year career, but I don't see yeah. long sustained success. Sorry out there if your team was in need from some yeah. D tackle help. Yeah. Uh, it ain't coming. Um, number nine, I have uh, Osa Odigizua, uh, and I like him. 
Um, he did have some flashes. He put a lot of pressure on. Um, so this is a guy that had some production, and um, that to me is why he cracked the list. I'm not sure that his frame and, and future, yeah, is gonna is gonna make him last uh, long term. Yeah. But uh, he, he's somebody that I did like here in this draft. Yeah, one of the things I look for um, kind of is what what can you do. So as we're talking about these guys, you'll hear me mention a lot of times like they can only only play nose tackle or only three tech because again I think versatility is important, especially if you're not an ultra talented. Like if you're not just a standout at, at one or the other, you'd better be able to facilitate it both. So yeah, I have Marlon Tupelotu. That's as close as it's gonna get, guys. From <laughs> USC, uh, he's really 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 good against the run. Uh, his pass rush. It's pretty much non-existent, and I originally had him not on my top ten. But after watching a different game at somebody else, and just I was watching actually some UCLA running backs, and I just kept seeing him just stopping the run time and time again. So I was like, let me go back and look. He is so good at, at just stopping running plays from getting started, quick penetration, anchoring, shedding blockers, and making problems. So I think his ability to to just terrorize the run will get him on it on a roster this year uh, again not not gonna do much pass right rush wise uh davion nixon uh, i have his number nine from iowa um, this one's a little bit of an athlete who needs to learn the position a little bit quick feet explosive burst i'm kind of surprised he's coming out of iowa he's only a redshirt sophomore um, he struggles to get off blocks he has times where you're watching a game and you're watching for him and you have a hard time picking him out because he's, you know, he'll go a series or two without, you know, being visible, which is something you don't really want to see. Um, so that's why I have a nine, but sometimes the, that explosive burst just blows up an entire drive. So there's potential there. And obviously as a sophomore coming into the NFL, he's going to have a long way to go. Yeah. But that athleticism is pretty, pretty attractive. Yeah. He's way higher on my list because of that. Yeah, it, it, it's about uh, upside. Yeah, upside. You know, when I'm looking at this class, I, I look at upside. Um, right now, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of the really big boys here that are going to be nose tackles at the next level. Uh, number eight, I have Tyler Shelvin from LSU. Um, this is a dude that's going to plug the middle. He's a monster. Um, he's good at what he does, uh, but he's a one-trick pony. Th th that's what I'm going to see out of Tyler Shelvin at the next level. He's going to be off the field on third down. Um, but you know what? He's going to occupy two blockers, and that's what you need. Uh, you know, a lot of teams need someone that can just occupy two blockers. Yeah. And Tyler Shelvin can do that. The same with this next guy, Tadaryl Slayton from Florida. Um, another guy that's 360 pounds. Uh, he's going to be a one or zero technique at the next level. He can occupy blockers. Again, uh, he does show some reasonable burst and athleticism for his size. Um, I don't know that we're going to necessarily see him creating pressure on pass plays um, because I don't think he'll get the opportunity. He'll be off the field. But um, another guy that they're going to get drafted because there is a role there for them, and, that, and that's to plug the middle and keep guys off the linebackers. Uh, number eight, I have Jalen Twyman. Uh, Jalen Twyman's from Pittsburgh. This is a guy who's a little bit smaller. He's 6'2", 290, but he is a very good pass rusher. Um, if you've watched Pittsburgh over this last year, their defense was very good, and he's one of the big reasons. Um, quick, able to get a burst and a drive, which made some of the uh, defensive ends get loose a little bit. You couldn't really double both of them because this guy was causing havoc 
Um, one of the knocks I would say is because of his thin build, he's probably just a three tech only and not a hundred percent sure how he'll hold up against the run against some of the bigger guards in the NFL. He was able to get away with it in college and be pretty good at it. Um, but in some of those big guys in the NFL, he might struggle with eight. I have Aleem McNeil from NC state. This guy's it's almost like he knows the cadence. This is how fast this guy gets off the ball all the time. Um, he's awesome against the run. He's he's one of these guys who just drops an anchor out of his shorts and just you're not moving him. He's gonna clog it up, figure it out. Uh, two things I would say negatively about Salim. One, he's only a nose tackle. He he's not really gonna be one to pat you know rush the passer in a three technique and uh, do a lot of stunts and twists and things like that because of a limited amount of athleticism. And you could visibly see him wear down throughout drives, throughout games. It was just something that it was noticeable as that burst, which you see in the beginning of the game, slows down. Uh, if it's a long drive and they can't get him out, you could you could see him sluggishly getting back to the line of scrimmage, things like that. So, yeah. And my, my turn, huh? Yeah. Well, that goes quickly, doesn't it? Uh, I have uh, Jerome Johnson next on my list. Uh, he's a defensive tackle from Indiana, and uh, he flashed productivity, including a really good game against Ohio State where he was wrecking plays in the backfield, tackles for loss, um, at least one sack in that game. And, uh, you know, he, he finished with four sacks last year as an interior uh, defensive lineman. He, he really is probably going to be playing like a three-tech uh, at the next level, and um, he'll have an opportunity to try to use some of his athleticism at 6'3", 292, uh, the problem is going to be at the point of attack. If guys come right at him, can he can he stand up to that? Is he stout enough uh, to manage the the point of attack if it comes at him? So I like Jerome Johnson for his interior pass rush ability. This is a guy that can be on the field on third down plays and uh, potentially make an impact uh, with a rush up the middle. So I like what he potentially brings to the table. Um, next up for me is Jay Tufeli, Tufeli, maybe I don't know, six three three fifteen. Um, he opted out this year. Yeah, he showed explosiveness and some really good flash plays. This is a guy though that doesn't get off blocks the way that he should. Um, that's why he's not higher up the board. His explosion and his size at six three three fifteen, he has a great burst for somebody that size. Um, he fires off the ball, and um, you know he, he does a good job with his hands. The problem is again he, he gets. His technique is not refined very well, and he gets out-positioned, and just one guy can move him off the point, and that can be a problem. Um, so he needs to improve on his strength as he as he develops, gets a little older, gets a little stronger, uh, gets in those NFL weight rooms, and uh, he could be a real difference maker uh, on the interior at the next level. Number six is where I have Tyler Shelvin. Um, pretty much all the same reasons. I, I think he's probably the best nose tackle in this group at, against the run. Like, if it's pure, hey, who, who do you need to stop the run as a nose tackle? This is your guy. Although, one thing I would mention is his weight issues at LSU. Uh, at one point, they, they reported him at 375. Yeah. Which is pretty dang big. So... Yeah. He had some issues with that, which makes you wonder, you know, how committed to this is he'll, he'll be. But uh, great run defender, just absolute monster at that. Number five, I have an enigma of a person with Marvin Wilson. Uh, Marvin Wilson, if he came out of the draft last year, 
would have been pretty, I mean, steep competition as we've talked about the D lineman class last year was awesome, mm-hmm. but he would have been much better off. He, uh, just to give you a, a, a tidbit of how different it was, his uh, PFF grade in 2019 was a 90.7, 2020 67.7. Yeah. So it's a huge difference. Um, I would say some of this is the team around him. I think the team around him was not very good this year, led to some issues. When you watch him by himself, super powerful. This is a guy who occasionally just just sits guards down. Like can, If he can get underneath them, he's going to lift them and sit them down. Um, I put here, strong hands, tosses old linemen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's definitely just able to get get by with some some brute strength. Um, this is another guy who gets tired. Um, you'll see him kind of wear down throughout games. And then this number four is where I have Osa Adigazua. It's close, right? Um, In the ballpark. Yeah, this guy. So I just keep coming back to his his just ability to get off the ball. Yeah. Um, his quickness off the ball is crazy. His long arms, 34-inch arms, which I notated here as well, uh, just really fast, flashes, gets makes plays. Um, one thing is interesting, though, is his weight, 279. As a senior, you know, some of these guys are sophomores. They may be adding more weight, but you would think a senior is pretty much done adding on, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he can hold up in the NFL. But his explosiveness should give him an edge. Yeah, absolutely. And I have uh, Marvin Wilson next for me at yeah. four. Um, he just fits here. He, he's a blue chip guy. You know, his performance in 2019 had him a, as a top level draft prospect as an interior defensive lineman. I don't know necessarily what the drop off was this year, uh, but his performance was not the same. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe he was just <laughs> playing it. He could have been concerned. Maybe he didn't want to get hurt. Maybe you know their their team was not competitive. Yeah. At times, and um, there just wasn't. It, it looked like a little bit of a lack of effort. You know, I didn't feel like he was getting dominated or anything no. like that. So, um, I'll be really interested to see what he does at the next level because I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to really explode and could be the best defensive lineman coming out of this group. Um, next for me at number three is uh, Levi Anwuzarike. And Anwuzurike is a guy who is 6'2", almost 6'3", 290. Um, he's explosive and athletic. You know, he, he does a great job bull rushing and, and kind of creating a mess of the pocket. Um, he doesn't necessarily win pat with pass rush moves. So if he can refine some of that, he can be a really good, really good player at the next level. I think that's something that he absolutely has to do. He's got to refine some of those pass rushing moves. I think he's strong enough and athletic enough to handle the interior positions. You know, three technique type position. He's not going to be down in your one or, or zero techs. Um, but I think he's going to be a really good player at the next level. And one of the you know three that I three or four that I think could really flash at the next level. So I got three left somehow. Should I just do all three? Go ahead. I got Tommy Togai. That's probably way off from Ohio State um, as my number three. Uh, I love his bull rush, uh, just able to put people down, get into their pads, push them back. Um, he's able to, to rush the passer. Uh, he's solid at, at against the run. This is one of the rare gr- in this group that does everything well. Um, I think as we've gone, we said, oh, this guy's a good pass rusher. Oh, this guy's good at run. This guy can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I have him up here at three. Obviously at Ohio State, 
faced a lot of good competition. He's played in some big games, and he continually shows that he's able to make plays in those. Uh, number two, I have Levi on on Ruzurike, I think. Ruzurike. Uh, some of the same things. He's quick off the ball. Uh, he's able to make plays consistently um, for a team that you know, really wasn't that good defensively in Washington. Um, but he made a lot of play, a lot of plays. Uh, the one thing I did know is that uh, sometimes he does one one move on a one attempt on a pass rush, and if that doesn't go, he's kind of content with all right. Um, but explosive, able to get free, and then Christian Barmore is my number one uh, big boy, six five three ten. This guy is a great athlete. He's very good at rushing the passer, um, consistently making making plays for Alabama. And uh, the only thing I would say, which most people aren't, is uh, he struggled when when being double teamed. Most most guys do. Yeah. Very few can you know consistently stand up against that. But another one, he can he can stop the run. Uh, but his ability as a pass rusher is why he's number one here. It's a pass. It's a passing league. And this guy's going to be able to get after some. Yeah. So um, for me at number two, I had Davion Nixon. Um, Davion Nixon where, you know, it, I, my disagreement with Tom comes in that I think that uh, Davion Nixon was the focal point of offenses uh, game planning against Iowa this year. I think that they were so concerned about him. I saw a lot of double teams coming his way. Uh, this kid is explosive. He flies off the ball for his size. And I think there's a ton of upside there for a guy that's 6'3 and gets off the ball like he does. Um, he's aggressive and strong. Uh, the problem is he isn't, like, overpowering um, or, you know, bull rushy, really. He, he relies on his explosion off the line of scrimmage and kind of beating the offensive lineman on the first step. So I guess that could be a bit of a problem with guys who are athletic interior linemen um, and able to use good technique and get in his way. Um, so that's kind of my, my downside for Nixon. Um, but I think he has as much upside as any of these defensive tackles in this draft. And at number one, I also have Christian Barmore for all the reasons that Tom talked about. Um, you know, he does periodically get handled at the point of attack by bigger, stronger interior offensive linemen. Um, he also relies on burst off the line of scrimmage, you know, and, and his ability to beat those guys with the first step. So when he does that, he is a complete force, and there were times that he was completely dominant on the interior of the defensive line. He was making a mess for teams in the backfield. When he is firing off the ball and on his game, he's very tough, and teams are going to have to pay attention to him. So for me, the the players that you know really stand out out of this group, I think Marvin Wilson has a chance to be really good. It depends on you know does he return to his former self, and then. I like the upside of Davion Nixon and Christian Barmore. On Wizarike, I'm not really, I'm not really certain on, but I think that he just has a little more. His consistency moved him yeah. ahead of Marvin Wilson this year for me on my, on my list. So yeah, on uh, just he, he's able to do a little everything. It's, yeah. it's rare in this group, unfortunately. Right. I mean, last year he would have been out of the top ten most right. likely, but absolutely. So that's a wrap on the podcast tonight. Yeah, next week's pod's gonna be really good. Huh? Next week's gonna be nuts. We got a little more golf. We're gonna talk a little Valero Open. Uh, we're gonna preview the Final Four. Believe yeah. it or not, we'll be talking that next week already. Um, Major League Baseball. We're gonna do, talk a little bit about that because Thursday it starts. So next Wednesday, the thirty yeah. first, we'll be with you, and then the next day, April Fool's Day, we'll be yeah. 
game on. Let's go. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then for the draft, we are doing our quarterback rankings and our edge rusher rankings, two of the most exciting, expensive uh, rank, ranking list we can do. So. And names that you'll know. Uh, this is this week is tough, and we realized that last year too. Yeah. Um, if you're not deep into it, when you hear you know ten through six and ten through five on a lot of these lists, <laughs> you're like, who, who, yeah. what school? I don't know. You know, but when we start talking quarterbacks, you're gonna know names. You're gonna know who guys are. There are uh, six of them probably this year that you'll absolutely know their names that really stand out to you, and you know maybe more than that. So depending on how we rank them so we'll have to see how it goes but i'm looking forward to next week tom absolutely taking a little weekend away i'm gonna spend a little time in uh, the uh, dc area so this should be a fun fun little weekend for me i'll do my best to follow what's happening in the sports world while i'm there but that's pretty much what we do anyways when yes. we're there so should be a great time all right guys we'll catch you all next week see ya see ya